0: Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Negotiation Podcast. In today's episode, we are thrilled to welcome back Crystal Tai, Senior Managing Editor at Jing Daily, for an illuminating discussion on the ever evolving fashion and lifestyle trends in China. As the go to source for insights into China's digital consumption and luxury market, Jing Daily brings unparalleled expertise to the table, and Crystal's deep knowledge offers a fresh perspective on what's shaping the market today. Join us as Crystal delves into the rising popularity of Canadian athleisure and winterwear brands in China, from industry giants like Lululemon and Canada Goose to emerging players such as Rudsack and Nobis. Discover how changing consumer lifestyles are driving demand in the space and whether functionality outweighs fashion. We also discussed the five fashion trends set to dominate in 2024, providing invaluable insights for brands aiming to resonate with Chinese consumers, from the resurgence of Chinese style to the nostalgia-driven Y2K Fashion Comeback, each trend reflects nuanced cultural shifts and societal changes. You'll also hear an exclusive overview of Chinese tourism and travel consumption trends post-pandemic as Crystal paints a vivid picture of where Chinese tourists are heading and what motivates their choices. Enjoy
1: millennials and Gen Z are pushing against the pressures of like society. So like this kind of expectation that you find a white collar job and work really hard, that you get married by a certain age, basically that you're like this high performing adult in society because the youth unemployment rate (laughs) did skyrocket to 21.3% by June of 2023, which is super high. Like if you look at the US's rate of 7.5%, for instance, you know, it speaks to like a lack of social mobility, and lack of opportunity that a lot of young Chinese are, are feeling and facing. And so, through adulthood, which is like the celebration of childhood pastimes, whether through anime or like cutesy styles, one way of self expression that maybe offers a bit of respite from like the rat race.
0: Brought to you by WPIC Marketing and Technologies. Crystal, welcome back to the show.
1: Thanks, Todd. It's good to be back.
0: Where are you now in the world that we are recording you from?
1: I am in Arizona. I'm just doing a quick trip here, but I'm normally based out of Vancouver, BC.
0: And you're down there to run.
1: Yes, that's correct. Run my first half marathon. Well, technically, I did one in college, but it was... (laughs) bit of a disaster. So this is a chance for a redemption.
0: I love that. Thank you for sharing and good luck. Um, wish you all the best is the goal to win or the goal to finish.
1: (laughs) Um, I'll be happy if I, I, yeah, just got to finish, just got to finish and then, um, celebrate after.
0: Yeah. Cause that would definitely be, my goal would be to just finish and potentially just not die. Running is not I'm not, I'm not a good runner. (laughs) (laughs) I'm good at short bursts. That's why I play hockey.
1: It's 2024, the year that everyone runs. So you will be a runner.
0: Oh, wow. Well, that's good to know. I should buy some better shoes then. We had you on last summer and much of the audience, although familiar with Jing Daily, would like to maybe be reminded. And so could you quickly give us an overview of Jing Daily?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, So as Todd mentioned, I'm, the senior managing editor at Jing Daily, and we are a New York-based platform that explores consumer and business trends in China, as well as the future of the global Chinese consumer. So basically, um, I think I think like years ago when we first started back in 2000, 2009, um, we started out kind of telling the story of luxury in China. But since then, we've kind of evolved and now we report on a lot of different topics, including, you know, the rise of like different um, trends on Chinese social media platforms, as well as um, AI and uh, I guess um, different collaborations happening in the digital space in regards to like Chinese fashion, um, as well as uh, digital nomadism, which is one of my personal beats, actually, that I cover.
0: I see you as a bit of a digital nomad. Have you done like the work remote travel around? Because I know like we're doing this right now while you're somewhere else. And I'm imagining you're working while staying at your your Airbnb with your dog and, and running marathons and stuff. I mean, is this actually something that you are doing yourself once in a while?
1: More and more these days after the, I guess with with like the the end of like the pandemic, but I actually started out working remote um, around 2020, which was pretty ironic because the dream, the goal was to go like fully, fully remote and, and just explore and travel. But then of course, like lockdowns happened. And so I was mainly based in Hong Kong and Canada for that part.
0: Definitely, definitely a trend. I've had so many friends of mine. I mean, as soon as their, their kids were old enough, and they became empty nesters. They just sold everything and have just been traveling everywhere, working during the day and exploring during the night and on the weekends and having a lot of fun and just not worrying. I was playing hockey yesterday with a guy beside me was like, yeah, this is going to be my last game for a very long time. And I'm like, why? And he said, well, my girlfriend and I, we have our own marketing agency. We do digital marketing. We work remote. We work from home. So we're going to go travel in Asia for five months, right? Pretty cool. You're not stopping your life. You're just accentuating it and still working. So I, I love all of that. It's, it's, it's a pretty cool movement. I do want to get back to talking about your writing, Because you just put out a big piece on the popularity of Canadian winter wear and athleisure brands in China. We're obviously talking about the success of big brands like Lululemon, Canada Goose and Arcteryx, as well as some of the more niche brands like Roodsack and Nobis. Can you give us a little chat about each of those? You know, talk about the piece in general, why you wrote it, and then what does the demand for this type of content or these types of brands or this type of textiles say about the changing lifestyles in China?
1: Okay, sure. Um, that was a huge question. Yeah, and just answer all of it. do my best to answer. And
0: don't forget anything, please.
1: <laughs> in one long run-on sentence, of
0: course. Yeah, no breaths. Um... <laughs>
1: Okay, so the story actually came about when one of my sources um, named Andy.
0: Shout out to Andy. <laughs> yeah,
1: kudos to Andy. Um, he mentioned that he noticed that people were paying an additional premium for Arterix in China. So they're paying up to like 31% more, basically, to to be able to obtain like Arterix products overseas. So in China, for instance, the prices for... And Arteric's um, Alpha SV jacket, which is like their signature kind of like Gore-Tex jacket or Gore-Tex shell, has gone up about $500 um, US, according to like local media. And despite like the fact that um, there's been this price hike um, in in regions like China and Japan, their products continue to be as popular as ever. And then another part of this was when I was, um, I guess, like just shopping around Vancouver on my own. Um, you know, Vancouver's like a very uh it, it's kind of a hub for Chinese, mainland Chinese immigration and tourism. Um and I just noticed that like a big percentage of the clientele at like Arteryx stores, Lululemon stores, um Nobis, RedSack, all of these these um shops were often, yeah, mainland Chinese. So that just spoke to me of like a a demand there. And I think just, yeah, the story just came together from that. Um, But also last time that we spoke, we also chatted briefly about Gorkor, I believe, which stands for good old raisins and peanuts. Yeah. (laughs) And so I think that there's something very quintessentially Canadian about these brands, like these kind of outdoor athleisure type brands where they're kind of almost, especially in the Pacific Northwest, very like associated with like these um that very vancouver bc canadian identity in lots of ways and um over the pandemic you know you could see that um there was a strong desire amongst like mainland chinese residents to travel and also to move abroad and i think now that lockdowns are over and they're everyone's back out um consuming as as usual again um it's almost like it's almost like consuming these Canadian products aside from like the status and the conspicuous consumption aspect of it um, it it brings them a bit of this kind of international identity or, or Canadian identity in a way that they're proud to like integrate into their lifestyles.
0: Just through interviews that I've had the previous one with you and other interviews on some of the changing trends and lifestyle in China and there's some some updraft and tailwinds being provided by the government even saying that they want to have an ice hockey team compete in the Olympics right and make it to the Olympics in China and obviously the winter olympics and summer olympics have also helped boost this but the point is they want to get out and they want to be healthy and they want to be active and i mean Maybe we're not full on ultra marathon running yet or camping yet. This has kind of been a movement, and it's kind of cool for Canada as well because we're one of those nations somewhat known for that kind of stuff, as you said i mean the 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 gorpcore cores the kind of the new k pop it's it's um it's a lifestyle <laughs> that I think people are starting to embody more. So I guess what I'm kind of rounding into. Is, and, and it's all built around functionality, right? Like, this is what outdoors is. It's preventing cold. It's, it's preventing uh, uh, rain from, from getting inside your clothes. All these kind of things. It's about functionality. Would you say that functionality is more important than fashion in this space? Or when it comes to China and the reasons they're buying it and the way that they're wearing it, is it still about fashion?
1: That's a really good question. Like, is functionality the new fashion Um, you know, as you alluded to earlier, (laughs) there, there has been a rise, um, in the popularity of like winter and outdoor sports, um, lifestyles in China. Like we actually, we found that like, um, in our research, we found that skiing and snowboarding were once considered fringe sports in China, like maybe 10 years ago. And today, Um, yeah, in part influenced by like the 2022 Beijing Olympics, um, as well as the rise of like ski resort culture and, and kind of tangentially quiet luxury as well. Weirdly. Um, that's another trend that we can talk about later, but, um, yeah, in, in association with the rise of those trends, um, and movements, I think that, uh, this kind of outdoor winter wellness, Culture is is definitely on the rise, um, and according to data from a Chinese travel website, eighty five point six percent of outdoor sports enthusiasts um, in twenty twenty two were actually millennials and Gen Z. So a lot of the younger generations, um, as you'd expect in China, are leading or like are are at the forefront of these outdoor athleisure trends right now. Um, but I think that in terms of function functionality as fashion this can be traced back as far as like before 20 2019 even um, in terms of like outdoor tech wear I suppose like back then there was this trend called the gray man the gray man look I don't know if you heard about this it's it might have even originated in Vancouver and it's basically all about functionality it's like it's called gray man because you're supposed to blend into, you know, whatever background, whatever urban gray drab background you're in. But like with kind of the Gore-Tex, with the added layers of protection around you in this almost kind of like ninja-esque way. So you're like, I feel like it's
0: more of a like beekeeper suit
1: in an urban setting. I'm sorry.
0: I said, I feel like I'm I'm picturing more of a beekeeper suit.
1: What is beaky?
0: A beekeeper. Oh, <laughs> This is what I'm seeing. Somebody in Vancouver <laughs> in a gray beekeeper suit.
1: It's not quite. It's actually pretty practical looking. I mean, it's almost, it's almost, it's supposed to be boring. So like, think like Uniqlo kind of head to toe, <laughs> like windbreaker kind of jacket thing. Um, not that Uniqlo is boring, but I just mean like very, very sensible, very practical um, colors that fit in anywhere. But mm. I'll send you some references afterwards.
0: I would love that. Thank you very much. But if you come to where I am in Canada, which is like in the Rocky Mountains, halfway between Vancouver and Calgary, functionality is everything. And trust me, fashion is nothing. It is only functionality here. Would you say that fashion is outpacing functionality? And, and I suppose it depends where you are, because I would also say in Vancouver, those wearing things that are functional are mostly doing it for fashion until you get somewhere where you actually need those 18 pockets in your pants. But would you say that, that in China fashion still outpaces functionality and the reason why this trend is growing, but functionality is potentially catching up soon.
1: I think fashion will always have a major role when it comes to like how people choose to express themselves and, and consume as well. Um, especially in China. I think that, uh, yeah. where conspicuous consumption. And, and of course, like notions of status are still very important. So yeah, on one hand, you do have your status items, your monogram items, um, and, and other, uh, kind of like, uh, concurrent trends, would you call them? Like other, other trends, like quiet luxury that are also running alongside these more functionality based trends, like gorp core and um, mountain core is another one that we've talked about it at, at on Jing daily as well which uh, is, yeah, just the mountain alpine version of So,
0: I'm curious because in Canada, let's say, or in North America, I think that there is a trend that is all about being anti-trend. You know what I mean? Where we go so far into I am 100% focused on function and whether it's zero makeup or... I'm gonna wear my my big mudding rain boots right off the farm and straight into the middle of town um, type of almost bucking the trend in its face, obviously. Is that a thing um, is that a thing in general? Have I just been living in an alternate reality or and and is that potentially a thing in China? I mean is is there just too much fashion sense now?
1: Yeah, I mean China is incredibly diverse, so there there are definitely lots of different uh trends and subcultures that are happening at the moment. Um if you mean like an like a like an anti-fashion kind of ugly almost like (laughs) anti-fashion fashion. Um yeah anti-fashion fashion fashion, there there were like the ugly shoes that were really big a couple of years ago, which were basically like glorified sneakers that kind of look like, you know, sneakers like or, or running shoes on adrenaline like extra, like random bulkiness and just kind of like weird, um, almost like, I remember like outer space parts added to it. Yes. Um, very clunky looking shoes. So like that's, that's still ongoing. I would say, although less, uh, more, more in like the, the tail end at the moment. And then, um, there are other trends such as metallic girl, um, and, Y2K, which we've also covered on the platform, which are basically, yeah, influenced by some of like the 90s era, early 2000s era grunge slash like subversive looks um, of that time, like crop tops and just misshapen, um, I guess, like (laughs) bottoms or, or jeans that don't really. It's like the opposite of skinny jeans and leggings. It just doesn't really do anything to highlight someone's figure or shape. Um, it's more about the, the attitude that comes with it.
0: Well, you let me know as soon as socks and Crocs becomes a thing in China. Because nothing screams <laughs> least functional on the planet than Crocs and socks. There's nothing good about why you would ever wear that together as far as a function uh point of view unless you're just really really lazy but like to have warm feet that's that's maybe
1: to it. be fair it it has already hit sorry sorry to interrupt but oh, that's um it. croc i'm out crocs and uh what we call clog core is definitely a thing you can go on xiao Hongxu, um the chinese version of pinterest and uh Just, yeah, type it in and and you'll find all types of style inspiration for how to deck out your your Crocs with all the cute little pins that, you know, you can buy um, separately, but also how to accessorize it with um, socks
0: and the rest of your outfit. For those of you listening that need a glossary of terms, feel free to head over to CrystalTie.com and you will find all the cores um, and other terms that Crystal has may or may not have been making up this entire show
1: <laughs> Crystal-tie.com does in fact exist, but I would <laughs> I would actually re- redirect everyone to jingdaily.com if they want to find the uh, core forecast.:
0: pieces. Yes, exactly. let's just end this just talking about the brand of Canadiana in a way, right so so the Canadian brand name in China brands. That are coming out and saying we are unwaveringly Canadian. How does that play out in the sectors beyond winterwear and athleisure?
1: That's a tough one. I know that, like for instance, there was a rising demand for maple syrup um, a while back, and I believe in South Korea but also China um, because of the the associated health benefits of maple syrup.
0: I don't think you're helping the global perception of us Canadians (laughs) by immediately going to maple syrup on that question.
1: (laughs) But it's it's kind of, it's a difficult one because like right now there are like rising geopolitical tensions between China and Canada. And with the uh, extension of Canada's foreign buyer ban as well, um, on, on property, uh, buying. Um, I think it speaks to like, uh, I guess a a larger, um, a growing divide between the two countries. So it is fascinating to see that Canadian brands like Lululemon, um the, the ones that that we, we mentioned are, are very like quintessentially Canadian are still so popular in China, despite all of this.
0: And I think that's I mean, I think that question, if I broke it down in a different way, for those of you know, for, for those in the audience that are brand owners that are looking to expand into China, let's say, how much do they want to carry their nationalism with them and infuse that? <clears throat> into the brand entry into China? You know, like, do we need to hide the fact that we are from XYZ country or can we use it to our advantage? Right. And would it then be fair to say the answer is, unfortunately, it depends. And that depends is potentially on sector.
1: Yeah, that's a really great question. I I think it does depend a lot. Um, I guess another non-fashion example of this would be Tim Hortons, which (laughs) is a really fun example to look into, actually. The fact that Tim Hortons has been expanding across China over the last few years um, with, again, a very quintessentially Canadian branding, like apparently the employees have to wear like the, the red and black plaid shirts. You know, um, that's their uniform. So it's it's very, very much Canadian. And we don't even see that over here. Like it's almost like a caricature at this point, if you ask me. Um, but that's yeah, Timorans are very popular in China right now. So
0: are you able to glean an opinion of Canada? Or like if you had to say like five buzzwords that it represents the Chinese cultural branding opinion of Canada, what would they be?
1: Well, I guess I can speak on this as as a Hong Konger Canadian. The first word would probably be cold or freezing, <laughs> <laughs> and then I guess another word would be snow wilderness. That's three. I I think that there is a perception in Asia that Canadians are mostly like white as well for some reason. Like when I when I travel around and I say I'm Canadian, um, people or or Hong Konger and Canadian people tend to prefer or understand the Hong Konger part more easily. So, but, but also multicultural at the same time, because that is part of like the Canadian, like the marketing of the Canadian identity too. So all those things, um, some of them kind of in a slight contradiction with each other.
0: It was funny. One of the things um, I found when I was in China, I get into a taxi cab taxi driver in China would know that you're not from China. And they would ask where you're from. And obviously, there's, it could be South Africa, it could be Germany, it could be, could be anywhere. And then in order to build a bit of rapport, which they were always really good and wanting to do with their passengers, they would ask you where you're from. And then they would make a, a, a quick comment about the place you just said, right? And so it was, yeah. you know, and it was very starkly different. It used to really irk my wife, who's from Russia because when I would say, oh I'm from Canada and they're like, oh Canada's so beautiful, amazing love cut you know dash on dash on whatever and my my wife would always get, oh girls so pretty from Russia, girls so pretty from Russia and it would drive her <laughs> crazy like she you know and it's it was always funny like wherever they were from you know Germany oh great beer, great beer you know they have these in, initial knee-jerk thoughts about those countries which is interesting
1: or, or Bruce Bruce Lee for Hong Kong
0: yeah, yeah exactly. Going to bring you back to fashion, uh, which is your wheelhouse um, and talk about, you know, because you have this great piece on the five fashion trends that was going to shape 2024, the, the year of the wood dragon. <laughs> it's a big open ended question. I know. And I keep doing this to you and I'm sorry, but. Each of the trends seems to reflect shifting priorities among Chinese people and interesting changes in Chinese society. So it's also important for brands to be on top of this in the fashion space and and even for other industries as well to really understand those trends so that they can connect with the consumers in real time. Could you share something on each of these? What are the core trends, the five fashion trends? Tell us what they are and a little bit of something about them, maybe starting from new Chinese style.
1: So basically, as yeah, as Todd mentioned, we um, we often put out uh, forecasts for the year ahead um, when it comes to trend spotting and just anticipating the major trends that we'll be seeing in coming coming out of China uh, for this year. And so we we did a piece um, that provided an overview on four or five different trends. Um, the first one, new Chinese style is basically a continuation of a previous trend, um, which is uh, Guo Chao. So like the national pride or national national movement, national trend movement, um, which is associated with the celebration of like Chinese culture in traditionalist, traditional ways that have been kind of revised for modern consumption. So this could range from the Hanfu. Um, the wearing of the hanfu and and Pao, uh for like photo shoots and just for fun, but as well as like um, redesigns on like and new iterations of like these these um, like historical costumes for like modern modern usage. So this is one thing that we've just continued to report on. And then another trend, and this is Todd's favorite, is the Asian baby girl. <laughs>
0: I was hoping that so, was still fashionable. The
1: continuation. <laughs> the continuation of Asian Baby Girl or ABG. Um basically this is this is an interesting one, you know, much like how we talked about the export um the exporting of brand Canada and Canadian identity to, to China through um Canadian branding and Canadian brands. Um the ABG is is kind of about that. It's about the influence of like americanized asian culture and um i guess like local like a local chinese take on this so um it's very like hip-hop influenced as well as like um i guess k-pop influenced too because a lot of k-pop stars now um also do this kind of abg look and um it's i guess it it's hard to define specifically, but I would say broadly, the ABG look is about maybe having a slightly more like streetwear, subversive take um, on, a, I don't know, like a California kind of style. So, like tattooed, um, crop top, um, wearing jeans, drinking boba, um, you know, strong eyeliner and, and dyed hair, that kind of look is one that we've documented. And if you go on YouTube, actually, and you search like how to do ABG, you'll find like hundreds of tutorials, um, mostly posted by like Asian girls living living abroad, but as well as some from China who talk about how to emulate this look. And it's really amusing, it's, it's super interesting. And then um, we have adulthood, which basically is, I guess it speaks to youth, like a sense of youth disillusionment, um, in china so a lot of millennials and gen z um are kind of dialing it back and you know lying flat um and embracing uh or rather pushing against the pressures of like society so like this kind of like expectation that you um You find a white-collar job and work really hard, um, that you get married by a certain age, Um, basically that you're like this high-performing adult in society because the youth unemployment rate – did skyrocket to twenty one point three percent by June of twenty twenty three, which is super high. Like if you look at the U.S.'s rate of seven point five percent, for instance, um, you know it speaks to like a lack of social mobility and lack of opportunity that a lot of young Chinese are are feeling and facing. And so through adulthood, which is like the celebration of um, childhood pastimes, whether through anime or like cutesy styles and. Um, colors and, and looks. Um, this is kind of like one one way of self-expression that maybe uh, offers a bit of respite from like the the rat race.
0: Did not see that one coming. Interesting. Now, is that yeah, all five? Yeah, it got a bit
1: dark there. Um, no. And the last one would actually be old money style or quiet luxury. So we saw that with um, that TV show in the US, Succession. um there's been a huge comeback for like Ralph Lauren, um, but also other quiet luxury brands like Loro Piana. Um, obviously, like just this very uh, refined um, kind of like Hamptons aesthetic has has been on the rise. And obviously, this trend has now spread to China where the New England kind of like American – aristocratic, um, look is, is being emulated by certain segments of consumers. So this means like polo shirts. Um, it means dressing like maybe, uh, like I'd say like even 1950s old money in some ways. And it's interesting because if you look at ski resorts, I think there is starting to be some of this influence as well. Um, kind of like, you know, apart from like the whole, like North American athleisure look, um, you'll see maybe more of like this European influenced ski resort aesthetic.
0: Okay. So the full one piece ski suits are coming back. I look forward to that. I do see in the near future, I'm going to go back. I'm going to go to my storage. I'm going to get out my six American Eagle polo shirts, and I'm going to pop the heck out of those collars. And there is a video of an interview I did quite some time ago where I'm wearing a scarf with a t-shirt because I thought it was a good look. And I feel like what you're telling me (laughs) is that all of those things are just saying I'm cool again.
1: I mean... Yeah, basically, if you look at say Goldberg, um, which is one of the premium snowsuit or ski suit brands, um, that are very popular right now you'll see that they do have an assortment of neon and like very brightly colored like ski suits so i'm sure you'd fit right in todd yeah
0: for those who haven't realized crystal is a way of making me always want to make jokes so i'm i'm not ever this um <laughs> <laughs> this funny or attempt to be uh this funny during a show um it's just something about in, uh interviewing crystal tie that makes me do this okay i know you have to run let me Thank just you, ask yeah. you one more question Good though. Um, now that we're past COVID. What you know, what does China's tourism market look like and where are people going and why?
1: Um, so this is a great question to be asking just ahead of the Chinese New Year, which mm-hmm. will be on February 10 um, this Saturday. Um, so we actually we actually report on um, Trip.com, which is um, the larger uh, the, the parent company of, of Trip. Um, China's largest travel agency. Additionally, Ctrip says that there will be a 540% surge in overseas travel bookings this year, which is a lot. It's not quite on par with, um, I guess, air travel before COVID still, but it is it is a huge surge compared to kind of the lack of, um, yeah, outbound travel from China over the
0: last few years. Crystal Thai senior managing editor at Jing Daily. Thank you very, very much for coming back on the show with us.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Okay. Putting a bow in that. Thank you everybody for listening. If you're listening to the audio only, please do head over to the YouTube channel and check out more content and information and YouTube shorts over there. For those of you on video only, don't forget we are audio only on all your favorite podcast platforms, anywhere you like to get your podcast from, but from me, And from crystal and from everybody at the negotiation. Thanks very much for listening. And we'll see you next time. Growing a company is hard doing it in a foreign market exponentially. So the best piece of advice I can give you is not to do it alone. When you start looking at the Asia Pacific region for further expansion possibilities, and I sincerely hope you do make sure you choose the right partners to do it with.